Good morning. So good to see you today. You know, it's a kind of a nasty, rainy, dreary day outside, but it's nice and bright in here, and we have the love of Christ in our hearts. Let's sing about that this morning. Won't you stand with me? Let's join together and just raise the roof and sing about Christ's being our cornerstone of our faith, foundation.
should be. I like that. I have a vision that one day there will be more than enough for kids and families before, during, and beyond foster care. More, more than, than enough. enough. Foster families and kinship families for every child. More, more than, than enough. enough. Adoptive families for every child who needs one. More, more than, than enough. enough. Help for biological families trying to stay together or get back together. Yes, más que suficiente apoyo para todas las familias que cuidan a los niños. I can't take on foster care across the whole country or even my whole state. But I can help provide more than enough in my own county. And in my county. And in my county. How are we gonna do that? What if just 10% of churches in my county were actively engaged in foster care? and 10% of churches in my county. Every county. Well, see, that's more than enough. More than enough for kids like me. And kids like me. And families like us. And like us. I believe it's possible. I'll do my part. And we'll do it together. More, more than, than enough. enough. Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to be hearing more information about uh, foster care. We were at Kinston last week, uh, last week with our senior adults and our group from Epic, our young, young adult ministry. And one of the things they shared with us there, Andrew, who was a house parent, shared that they cannot find families to come and be house parents. They're even running short on those. And so uh, it's really becoming a crisis to provide care for children who really need it. And here's the, the, the thing, is to provide care that's going to teach them about godly things. Uh, and we know that's happening with our Baptist children's homes. So be listening for more information. You think, well, I can't really be a foster family, but there are ways that you can support 
families that are doing foster care and you're going to be hearing more ways of how we as a church can be doing that but um, be watching for that let me welcome you this morning to our services we're thankful that you're with us uh, that as jonathan said you uh, uh, came through the weather to be here this morning so thanks for being uh present here in worship and we praying that god's going to do some great things today in our service there is a care card that's located in the pew rack in front of you. We would like to have a record of you being with us. If you're a guest of ours, please fill one of those in. Uh, there's information that you can request from the church. Also on the back of the care card for all of us is a place to fill in prayer requests. If you have a prayer need, we as a staff want to hear about that and be praying for you. As you leave this morning, you can place those cards in the giving boxes that are on the columns on either side of the center door as you leave today. Just place them there and we'll make sure those cards get to the right people and be praying for you. Uh, we also are going to be uh, praying for all of our veterans. Let's not forget about Memorial Day and our choir is going to be doing some uh, more on that in just a moment for a uh, tribute to our veterans and for our families who have lost uh, loved ones uh, in, mil in the military and in war. Let's remember to pray for those families. Also for our youth, is there a way? Uh, we have teenagers down at the beach on a beach retreat with Kevin Knight. They'll be traveling back tomorrow. So please remember them also in your prayers. And then a reminder, the office is closed tomorrow as we observe Memorial Day. And then don't forget, Vacation Bible School is coming up very soon, June 26th through the 29th. Our registration is now open. You can go to our website at pbcweb.org or just go into the uh, uh, Worship Center lobby right back here at the info desk and you can sign up your children for that. We have Vacation Bible School from four-year-olds all the way up to adults. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that during that week. You can also register for snack suppers. Uh, each night uh, we'll provide a snack supper. It's $16 per person for the entire week. And you can also sign up for that on the website or at the info desk. Uh, so please take care of that and be a part of Vacation Bible School that week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask you to, if you would just take a moment to quiet your heart before the Lord. You pray silently and then I'll pray out loud in just a moment. Let's pray together. God, thank you for allowing us to come to this building to worship with your church, God. We pray that today would be a time where we can maybe hear a word from you, that we would be open to what the Holy Spirit may want to say to us. God, we pray that you'd use our pastor to, to speak through his mouth. I know he has studied and will present a message this morning, but God, he can speak to our ears, but God, your Holy Spirit is the one that speaks to our hearts. And so we ask you to do that today, God. We know there are many needs in this room. You've heard silent prayers that have already gone up this morning. And God, we pray that you give wisdom uh, in those situations to know what to do. If we have family members or friends who are suffering or a, a situation maybe at work or with our family, God, give us wisdom to know what to do and be with each of those requests, God. We do pray for our youth who are at the beach right now. God, just give them safety as they travel back tomorrow. God, we pray for the families this weekend who will Think about loved ones who have died to protect us in battle and in the war and in training and just in the military. God, we pray you'd comfort them this weekend and help us to be thankful to those families for the sacrifices they've made uh, to help protect us as a country. God, we do pray for our country, for our leaders. God, that they would turn to you, they would rely on you and seek your face and your wisdom as they govern this land, God. Just be with any of the requests that I've forgotten. Give us a great day today and let this be a, a service that pleases you, God, as we worship you. 
whether it's giving or singing, hearing the message, God, let it be pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said. of understanding God's relationship to his children is so clearly expressed in the simplicity of this truth. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Many brave men and women who have faced the terror of battlefields around the world in our defense have found comfort in the promise of a loving and gracious God who is present in time of need. A God who promises a place of eternal rest. A God who through the sacrifice of his only son made a way for us to have a home, an eternal home, in the mansions of the Lord. you stand. Tomorrow is about remembering our service men and women who gave their lives in service to our country. But today is about remembering and worshiping the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice and gave his life 
for us. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's sing about it.
is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's love who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial, who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, oh, sing our hope in life and death. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, He lives, Christ, He lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life within, there we Newfoundland is called a rock because life here is hard. 
We're an island off the east coast of Canada, and from a, a spiritual perspective, it's mind-boggling how little churches there are. You know, my, my parents are from Newfoundland. My whole heritage is from here. And so we moved back uh, to Newfoundland because it's a fantastic place to plant a church. When I first came to Newfoundland, I remember sitting on my couch praying and just feeling so sad that people that I didn't even know, <laughs> I hadn't even met them yet, but they had no chance to hear the gospel. We are here in Kilbride and there's a lot of young families here. And in 1892, the, the last church existed in Kilbride. It burnt down in 1892. Uh, and so the gospel hasn't been preached here in 128 years. And so we set out to have people in our home because there's a term called CFA, come from away. If you're born on the mainland or anywhere else but Newfoundland and you move here, you will always be known as a come from away. So we had to adjust our mindset and say, we are moving to Newfoundland and we are going to let God work. We know that that's probably going to be a long process. We are seeing the gospel transforming people. But still, when we are gathering on Sundays, I'm always reminded of how outnumbered we are. If I were to get in a car and drive two hours south, you won't find a single Bible-preaching, gospel-centered evangelical church. And so it's the rock because it's, it's very hard to plant seeds here. But Lord, <laughs> here I am, send me. Your Annie Armstrong gifts have gone to support people like you have just seen on the screens. And uh, by the way, let me mention to you, your Annie Armstrong uh, mission goal has now been met. Uh, our goal of $70,000. So you're to be much commended for that. Yes, yes. And keep in mind, we've got uh, mission trips coming up this summer to Alaska, a couple of trips there to Paris. Our church goes a number of places, not only gives, but goes. And again, I want to commend you for that. Let me also take this opportunity, though, to give you a reminder about something. Uh, our home base here is likewise a mission field with preschool and children's ministries, youth and college, as well as adults, ladies, men, senior adults, and so forth. And we are close to two weeks behind in our general budget giving. So hopefully over the next four to six weeks, I would love to see us catch up and excel in that as well. Uh, you've excelled in your mission, uh, mission gifts Remember home base as well, so uh, uh, pray about that, and let's see if we can catch that up likewise to where uh, it should be for the year. Uh, let me ask you to remember a couple of our church families. Uh, Ed and Sandra, are you in here? Ed and Sandra Polly, there's Sandra. Uh, we want to remember their family, uh, their son-in-law, uh, Brian, 42 years of age, 
uh, passed away in his sleep last week. And the celebration of his eternal life will be a Tuesday. The visitation will be from 12 to 145 at West Cabarrus Church down on uh, Bruton Smith Boulevard. And then the funeral service will be at 2 p.m. And then also on Wednesday, uh, Shirley Taylor, many of you remember Bill and Shirley Taylor, she's been battling dementia for a while. Uh, Shirley has passed away, and visitation will be at Hartzell's on Branchview Wednesday from 12 to 1:45, followed by the uh, funeral service in the chapel there at Hartzell at 2 p.m. So remember both of these families. Uh, who are grieving in our church, but I'm thankful that in both of these cases they are not grieving as those who have no hope because those who have passed away uh, were dedicated believers and they are now with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, take your Bibles out this morning and it's very fitting the subject matter that we come to today. Uh, the Christian and government as we continue walking through the gospel of Mark uh, we are up to Mark chapter 12 so find Mark chapter 12 in your copy of the scripture and we'll be reading a relatively short passage of scripture today verses 13 uh, to 17 but I would ask you also to find Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 We'll be making reference to those passages and a couple of others later in the context uh, of the message. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Again, the subject matter today, the Christian and government. What is our role to be? What is our attitude to be? Uh, verse 13 says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit... You would illuminate our minds as we study this passage of Scripture. Lord, we, we know that many were constantly trying to trap Jesus. And look for an occasion to bring accusations against him so they could ultimately put him to death. Which they did. But God, in the midst of this controversy with religious leaders, we thank you for the for the blessed truth that we learn here in this passage of what our role is to be as citizens 
And God, we want to be mindful to pray for those who are in authority over us. Who make decisions. We recall how the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 said we're to pray for leaders around the globe. That they would make decisions that would keep doors open for the gospel. And that should be our chief concern. Lord, we know that our leaders will oftentimes make decisions we don't agree with. And we see that today on many fronts. And God, we, we know that many of them in all likelihood are unbelievers, even those who profess to know you. And we make that judgment because Jesus invited us to. You will know them by their fruits. God, we would assume many of the decisions we see being made today come out of a heart of unbelief. And we pray that you would grant our leaders repentance and faith that they might come to know you. But Lord, regardless, help them to make decisions so we can continue to do what we do as the church. Preaching the gospel. Lord, we know the answer to the world is not government. It's a gift from you, but it's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And so, God, we continue to pray for the freedoms that we have. And we thank you for the freedoms we've had in this country. And we do remember those today who have lost loved ones in the battles for freedom. Comfort them and give them your peace. Again, we would ask you to speak to us today. Empower us, equip us. That we might always be on mission for you in this world till Jesus comes. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Folks, we know that there are two powers in the world that oftentimes motivate people. On the one hand, there is love. Love is such a powerful motivating factor. And love is the reason many people do what they do. And Jesus said, love is what we're to be known for in the church. In John chapter 13, as Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, he said to them, you're to love one another and all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love is to be the motivating power behind why we do what we do. But we know that there is another motivating power in the world. And that is hate. Hate. Many people operate out of that. And that is a powerful bond for them. And sometimes those who are even enemies with one another will pair up together to take on a common foe. You've heard the old saying, the well-known saying that goes like this. It says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's what we see playing out today in our text here in Mark chapter 12. This is the second confrontation Jesus had with the authorities the week leading up to his crucifixion. And what we see here is that Jesus affirmed a Christian's responsibility to both human government and God. 
And we're, of course, to keep the proper perspective in our relationship to both. And Jesus is addressing both here. What are our responsibilities to human government? What are our responsibilities to God? Now, the first thing I want you to see this morning is the setting of the trap. The setting of the trap. In verse 13 it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you're true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? It's Passover week, so we know that already in Jerusalem, tensions are running very, very high. Due to some of what Jesus has already done, the cleansing of the temple, and many of his words against the religious establishment, tensions are already running high. And I want you to notice that His enemies send two different groups to Jesus here to try to trap him. And I want you to notice who the players were. They were the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were the right-wingers of the day. The Herodians were the liberals. They're the left-wingers. And they, they were the advocates of big government, as Dr. Daniel Aiken says in his commentary on Mark. The Pharisees hated Jesus because he was messing with their religious system. The Herodians hated Jesus because he was threatening their political advantage. These were two entirely separate groups with separate agendas who normally despised one another and would have avoided one another. But here both groups are coming together against Jesus. Let me say a further word about both groups. The Pharisees were known as the separated ones. They had arisen during the 400 silent years between the days of the Old Testament and the days of the New Testament particularly after the Maccabean Revolt. And the Pharisees had determined that never again would the Jews become so much like the world that God would have to come in and carry them away into exile like he had done in the Babylonian exile. You remember back at the time of the exile, the people did not know God's word. They had allowed idolatry and the corruption of the world to come into the land. And so God judged them and carried them away into exile for 70 years. Well, the Pharisees determined to never again let idolatry and worldliness and an ignorance of God's law be a problem uh, in their land, in Israel. But the problem was... All of the additional things that they attached, the laws and traditions that they attached to God's word. They turned God's word into something that was such a burden, nobody could keep all of the, all of the regulations that the scribes and Pharisees had attached to God's word. 
And yet at the same time, the Pharisees were apparently chiefly after outer appearance. The outer appearance is that you were at least attempting to keep all of the traditions and regulations of the law. But again, they were the conservatives in the land. They would have been anti-government and anti-Rome. The less of Rome and the less of Rome's interference, the better in their minds. On the other hand, you had the Herodians. They had become the compromisers. They had basically made themselves extensions of Herod and his rule. And they spoke in favor of the Jews allowing themselves to be in alliance with the Romans. Instead of fighting Rome, they would have said, hey, let's join them. If you can't beat them, join them. Let's join them and try to syncretize Rome and Jerusalem together. They would have been pro-government. Folks, again, you could not have found two groups that would have been more polar opposites. And yet I want you to notice what they do here in verse 13. They come to Jesus with a question and it's a trap. Make no mistake about it. In fact, in the Greek language, the Greek word for the way they came to him and they tried to trap him, that word was used in hunting and fishing context. What does a hunter do? A hunter will oftentimes try to set a trap for wild game. What does a fisherman do? A fisherman will try to use the right bait so he can catch fish. Again, the word used here came out of the hunting, hunting and fishing context. And notice what they're doing here. They are coming to Jesus and they are trying to set a trap. And they begin by using flattery. You know the Bible warns about flattery. In Psalm 5-9 the scripture says, For there is nothing reliable in what the wicked say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. They come to Jesus with flattery. They call him teacher, a title of respect. They tell Jesus that they know that he is truthful, that he's impartial, that he does not make judgments on, based on human appearances. And folks, everything that they are saying here about Jesus is absolutely true. Now the problem is they just didn't believe in Jesus. Everything they're saying is true. And they're trying to trap him with flattery. Now remember, this is the same group of people they're very soon to accuse him of blasphemy. Folks, beware of people who are constantly trying to flatter you. What are they up to? Well, you notice what they do here. They ask Jesus a question that they think they'll have him either way. It's kind of like, Let's take today the, the instance of a, of a man 
that he's on a witness stand. And, and let's say he's a man. He's never been violent. He's never struck anybody with his fist. He's never hit anybody. He's, he's never been prone to temper tantrums. He's a very calm, peaceable man. And he certainly never attacked his own wife or kids or anybody in his family. And let's say the attorneys have him on the witness stand and they say, Sir, you've got to answer this question with a yes or no answer. All you can say is yes or no. Have you stopped beating your wife? Yes or no? Man says, I've never beat my wife. No, you got to answer yes or no. Have you stopped beating your wife? Well, if he says yes, you see their jury? He must have used to beat his wife. If he answers no, look at their jury. He's still attacked. You see, there are some questions you just can't have a simple yes or no answer. And they're trying to trap Jesus with that type of a question. Either way, Jesus answers, they're thinking it'll be a win-win scenario for them and a lose-lose scenario for Jesus. If Jesus says, no, no, uh, don't, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians are going to run off, tell the Romans. The Romans are going to come in, as they were known to do, very harshly and swiftly. The Romans would have come in and dealt with Jesus as inciting opposition against Rome and his treason. If Jesus said, yes, don't pay the tax, I mean, yes, do pay the tax rather than the Pharisees would have run off to the Jews and said to the loyal Jews, you see, Jesus is in cahoots with the Romans. So they think they've got Jesus either way. They've got him on the horns of a dilemma. They think they finally won. They finally got something here that they can use to entrap Jesus. Now the tax in question here was the imperial poll tax. There were other taxes, but this tax was especially objectionable to the Jews. The Romans had instituted this tax in AD 6 when Caesar Augustus had put it in place. And then Tiberius Caesar, who ruled from A.D. 14 to 37, he had continued the use of the imperial poll tax. The amount of this tax was one denarius, which amounted to a day's pay for a common worker. It was actually this particular tax that had started a rebel movement in Israel known as the Zealots. Remember them? In addition to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there were the Zealots. Man, they wanted to attack the authorities any chance they could get and throw off Rome. It was this tax that had, that had started this rebel movement and it was the zealots that had continued their instigation against Rome until finally Rome came into the land in 66 AD and then four years later in AD 70 the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. 
the Jews hated this tax because they considered the image on it to be idolatrous and because also it was a constant reminder to them that they were ruled by a pagan superpower, Rome. Now for everyday commerce, the Jews were able to use common copper coins that had no image on them. But for the poll tax, they had to use the denarius with an image on it. And I'll say more about the image in a moment. Now folks, there is a bit of irony here. Here the Pharisees and the Herodians are asking Jesus about a denarius. And again, it's a coin uh, with the emperor's image on it, they considered it idolatrous. And yet, who, who is in possession of the denarius here? Is it Jesus or is it them? It's them. Bit of an irony here. Well, the second thing I want you to see here is the statement of truth. Knowing their hypocrisy, verse 15 says, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this. They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They've just said Jesus is the truth. And now Jesus is about to give them the truth. Jesus asked them why they are testing him. He knows they're trying to trap him. And he lets them know that he knows what they're up to. He asked them to give him a denarius. And when they give him a denarius, he says, whose image is on it? And they say to him, Caesar. You see, on one side of the denarius was a bust of Tiberius Caesar with the inscription underneath that read, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. The other side of the denarius had an image of Tiberius's mother, Livia with the words Pontifex Maximus which meant high priest so again the Jews found this coin to be especially blasphemous and idolatrous it was offensive to them and then Jesus said something to them that has continued to have a tremendous impact all through the centuries on western culture what did he say to them? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now they never saw this answer coming. And with an answer like this, there was nothing that either side could say against Jesus in order to accuse him. Now, in addition, Jesus, there's some pretty strong implications behind Jesus' words, implications that continue to have a great deal of impact on us today related to both God and the government. We know that as far as society is concerned and having order in society, three institutions God has established in his word. He's established the family, the church, and government. 
Romans 13 is probably the clearest teaching in the scripture on human government. In fact, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. And I I want you to read along with me uh, verses 1 to 7. Romans 13 beginning in verse 1, uh, Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Underscore that. No authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at cases where civil disobedience would be in order. But for now, look at what Paul says here. Christians are to submit to the governing authorities. Why? Government is from God. Government is set up to protect the citizens. It's set up to punish evildoers. Government is a minister of God to you for good. Rulers are servants of God worthy of support through taxation. That is what human government is supposed to be. Okay? If you were to turn over to 1 Timothy 2, you would find Paul urging the church, urging Timothy when they gather together in church to pray for kings and presidents and emperors and all in authority. Uh, Anytime you gather together, he says, pray for the human governments, rulers. And it's very clear what Paul's concern is there. It's not because our hope is in government, but Paul is very concerned. He says, says, pray that governing authorities will make decisions that will keep doors open for the preaching of the gospel. Human government is not going to bring men peace with God and freedom. It's the gospel. And so Paul is telling Timothy, make sure, Timothy, in your church you pray for the governing authorities that they will make decisions that will ultimately be good for the church so the church can continue around the globe to carry out its missionary efforts preaching the gospel. Because while government is not our hope, the gospel is. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. So we ought to be praying that governments would make decisions that would mean that we could keep doing what we do. 
Then you come over to 1 Peter chapter 2. You may want to turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 2. And you pick up reading in verse 13, 1 Peter 2 verse 13. And Peter says much the same thing. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God honor everyone love the brotherhood fear God honor the emperor now folks what is more striking when we read these passages where Peter and Paul both are saying these words is when you consider who it was in power at the time. Nero. Nero was the Roman emperor. He was crazy. He was a madman. And would eventually lead in persecutions against the Christians. And it's believed he's the one that was even behind uh, the beheading of the apostle Paul. These were the powers in charge at the time, and yet Peter and Paul both said what they said. Folks, we know also that the early Christians had none of the freedoms that we have today. Much of the world today still doesn't have our freedoms and opportunities. That's why people still desire to come to America. And so the New Testament is clear that we owe the government and ruler fear, honor, taxes, respect, and our prayers. We are not to be like the guy who mailed a $175 check into the IRS without signing it, without putting his home address. He said, here's the money I owe you for my back taxes. My conscience has been bothering me. P.S. If my conscience continues to bother me, I'll send in the rest. Christians should seek to be model citizens as far as possible. And Peter also says, if we suffer, we aren't to suffer as those who are doing wrong and are lawbreakers. Remember, God had even told Israel when they were in Babylon during that 70 years exile... He told Israel, work for the good of Babylon, because as that country prospers, so you will prosper being in that country. Now again, does this this mean we've got to blindly go along with everything and accept and endorse and promote everything? No, and we'll get to that in a moment. By the way, though, in a representative government like ours where we do have a voice, what a shame that Christians don't even take time to vote oftentimes. In fact, a small percentage of evangelical Christians actually even go to the polls and vote. They looked at the 2012 presidential election and other elections since then, too. But they looked at the 2012 presidential election election and they found that 39 million professing evangelical Christians did not even go to the polls and vote 39 million and that's a crying shame 
early Christians would have loved to have had the opportunities that we have. What a shame that so oftentimes we just turn the whole process over to unbelievers. Again, we know our hope is not in the governments of this world. But at the same time, what a shame that we neglect to even have a voice. Jesus said we're to be salt and light. But again, what about when the authorities are asking us to do something that we know violates God's word? Are we just to blindly and obediently follow the governing authorities no matter what? No, in cases like that, we need to answer to a higher authority, which is God. We're to be good citizens of the land as much as possible, but we are to only worship and serve God. In fact, listen to uh, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Well, let me back up a minute. Uh, Back to verse 15, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? They were talking about uh, Peter and John. For, For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anybody in the name of Jesus. And so they called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The governing authorities telling them, you can't talk anymore about Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot uh, but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. And over in verse 29 of of Acts chapter 5, it says, But Peter and the apostles answered, here here again they're being threatened by the authorities. Peter and John, uh, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We see cases right there in the New Testament of civil disobedience. Another example would be in the Old Testament with Daniel. Remember when the king issued an edict that nobody could pray to any god except to him. That is the human king. Daniel went back to his uh, dwelling. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day to the living God just like he had always done. He disobeyed the king's edict. Look at what Hobby Lobby did some years ago. Probably eight or ten years ago now. And also at the same time there were 40, about 40 Catholic and Baptist institutions that said to the federal government, no, we will not include abortion coverage in our health care plans. Good for them. More recently, we've all experienced a different issue, COVID. And I'm not trying to open that can of worms again. My goodness, I hope that can is glued shut, hammered and nailed shut, and welded shut. 
And I realize Christians were all over the map on this issue. In fact, pastors and staff members were commonly saying, you know, within 50 feet on, their, on the church sidewalk, pastors and church leaders could be hit by one group that'd be saying, why are we doing anything by way of precautions? We ought to be carrying on business as usual. Y'all are leading us to, to promote fear. You're preaching fear. You better stop doing any of these precautions. If you don't, we're out of here. 20 yards later on the same sidewalk, you run into another bunch. Why are we not doing more? We're thrilled over what you are doing, but we need to be doing more. And if y'all don't do more, we're out of here. I'm serious. Pastors and church leaders were facing that like crazy. And I only bring that up to say what we see here, this discussion in Mark 12 about government authorities and, and what they say that we're to do and not. Folks, this is not an issue that is relegated to the past, to 2,000 years ago. It hits us very much where we live today. There have been a couple of court cases in the past couple of years over the COVID issues. I think of Grace Community Church, God, uh, John MacArthur's church. I think of Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. Both of these churches won their court cases. What's shocking about Capitol Hill Baptist in D.C., they were meeting outside, outdoors. Social distancing. And the D.C. government still stepped in and said, y'all can't meet. And it went on and on. And initially pastors were saying, hey, we want to help if we can curb, curb things. Sure, we want to help. But then when government, they start saying, bars can stay open. Strip clubs can stay open. Churches have to close. Pastors were like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? And then Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews, when he wrote what he wrote, that the people going to church that very day, they could, they could be arrested. They could lose their home, their businesses, their property. They could be even be put in uh, jail. This was no idle threat. It was happening to some of them. It's why the people uh, in the context of the book of Hebrews, many of them were leaving Christianity and they were going back to the Jewish temple because the Jewish temple and the Jewish religion was sanctioned by the government. The Christians weren't. And so some of them were tired of all this persecution. They were going back to the temple and the writer of Hebrews told them do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some meet together pray together encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching folks these were people that could have could have been in, uh, imprisoned or lost everything that very day that they went to church and yet the writer of Hebrews says do not do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some so pastors during COVID finally said you know what Bars staying open, strip clubs can stay open. Hey, we're opening our churches again. Again, I'm saying, whatever you feel about these issues, and I know you feel different ways, 
Fortunately, I think you were more sane than many church groups were. I'm just trying to show you. This is very relevant. And you know something else relevant? I was listening to a friend of mine preach the same passage out of Luke's gospel. A man that's preached here from this pulpit before. Jeff over in Gastonia at Parkwood. He, he was preaching on, on this passage. And he wasn't talking about COVID. But he was talking about what's coming down the pike. A different subject matter. When if you say, if you just merely read from Genesis 2. For example, God created humans in his image. Male and female. He created them. Two genders. You might face consequences. This whole gender-bending thing is going to be a test for believers, folks. I'm telling you, teachers are already losing their jobs in some schools if they don't use the student's pronoun of choice. And it's only going to grow and grow and grow and expand and expand in other areas where people are required to even adore, endorse the whole alphabet soup agenda. I'm not saying we don't love people. As Christians, we're to love everybody and treat everybody with respect. But, but we're going to be expected to champion the whole agenda. And if you don't, there's going to be legal consequences. You wait and see. It's happening. And I feel sorry for the girls in sports. Girls are losing their college scholarships because a a dude identifying as a girl is coming into their sport and winning events. Who's speaking up for the young ladies? Where are all the radical feminist groups that used to speak up for girls? They're silent here. Now, folks, whatever the issue, we also need to say if we're engaged in civil disobedience in a case where we think it's justified, we need to be prepared to pay the price for it. There may be consequences. But when the chips are down in your family or in your business, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to say, like Peter and John said, we must obey God rather than men? Or are you just going to cave in and go along? Let's go further, though, with Jesus' words here. Enough for the moment about human government. Because, see, we concentrate on human government so much in this text, oftentimes we neglect what Jesus went on to say. And what did he go on to say? Render to God that which is God's. Folks, as he called for a denarius, and he held the denarius up to him, and he said, whose image is on the denarius? Caesar's. Here's the implication. Whose image is on you? You say, what, what, do I, what do you mean, preacher? Genesis 1. God said, let's create man in our own image. In our image, let's make him male and female. Let's create him. You have God's image on you. You are created in God's 
image. Every human being has upon themselves the very image of God. You were created in God's image. Now, scholars will debate the three or four things that that involves, and that's not my purpose this morning to get into all that. But without diving into that, just suffice it to say, you were created in God's image. And you know what? That means every human being you encounter, even those you disagree with, even those who don't look like you, that's somebody made in the image of God. And just by nature of being made in the image of God, being created by God in His image, they're deserving of our us giving them dignity as human beings. Let that sink in to how you treat people this week. But again, back to the point, render to God that which is God's. We owe God, folks, even more than we owe Caesar. Our whole being is made in God's image. His claim on us should be without question. Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. You rightfully belong to God. If you're not worshiping and serving God, you are essentially a thief and a robber because you're taking that which God's given you, your very life and His image on you, and you're using your life like it belongs to you. What did Paul say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable in His sight. You were made in God's image. Your body belongs to Him. A friend of mine who's a Greek and New Testament professor was up here for a wedding this weekend, spent the weekend with me. We were talking about this because it's a series he's teaching to his Sunday school class right now. In the church today, we've almost become just platonic in our thinking, even Gnostic. Because we've gotten in this mindset that our, our bodies don't... What do Christians talk about? One of these days, I'm going to fly away, fly away. We even sing that and celebrate that. And it's like we're going to leave this body aside and leave this earth aside. But folks, that's the intermediate state. Hear me. That's the intermediate state. When we fly away our soul. Where's the Bible narrative moving? You read to the end of the Bible. Where's the Bible narrative moving? The resurrection. Your body is going to be raised. You're going to have a glorified body. We're going to be in a new heavens and a new earth. What does this mean? Our bodies matter. We shouldn't be thinking, let's just forget about the body. Hey, my spirit's going to fly away to be with God one day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, I wish there's a way I could even bypass the intermediate state where I leave the body behind my spirit and soul. Go. I wish I could go on to the resurrection body. Now, he's not saying the intermediate state is bad because he says absent from the body, present with the Lord. But his hope was in the resurrection of the body. Your body matters to God. The earth 
It matters. It, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Read the end of the story. Read the end of Revelation. We're not just going to be floating around up there on clouds. We're going to be in a resurrection, glorified body, new heavens and a new earth. God created your body to matter. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. Everything you do in your body matters. Your body is to be a living sacrifice to God. Everything about you. We're to worship God. We're to serve God. We're to serve Him through our local church. He's given you a gift, a spiritual gift to build up His body, the church here. Are you using it for this body? How about the way you treat your activity every day? God gives you every breath you have. What are you doing with your life? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the world? That would be a life of thievery. Taking what God has given you and using it as though it belongs to you. How are you treating your resources? Are you giving up your resources to God? Or are you taking 100% of your resources and treating them like they all belong to you? That's robbery. What are you doing every day in your body? What are you doing with your life? I dare say most of us are living... By the render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's because you're afraid the authorities would show up at your door and arrest you if you didn't. But are you rendering to God that which is God's? Some people don't because, hey, God's not going to show up knocking at my door. But the Bible says there's a day we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we will have to give an account. Are you rendering to God that which is God's or are you a thief and a robber because there's little doubt in my mind that there are both categories here this morning those who are giving rendering to God that which is God and those probably even among us today living like you belong to yourself oh my body is my own I'll do whatever I want no you 1 Corinthians 6, your body belongs to God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there are those living as though they belong to themselves. You say, preacher, you're preaching to the choir. We're in church. Hey, that makes no difference. A lot of people come to church, leave church, go back out into the world the other six days a week and live as though they belong to themselves. Render to Caesar... That which is Caesar's, but to God, that which is God's. Beware of flattery. Some lessons here. Often you'll find ulterior motives in those who flatter you. Secondly, Christians have a responsibility to be good citizens who live righteous lives. Showing honesty and respect to those in authority. Thirdly, Christians have a larger responsibility to God. 
Father, thank you for the reminder here of both. Of both. It says they marveled at Jesus. They marveled. You are the all-wise God. May we take your words and build our lives upon your words as our very foundation. Forgive us. Forgive us when we've fallen short in both categories. Maybe I'm speaking to people that at every turn of the corner they try to cheat, cheat the government out of everything they can cheat on. Forgive us, Lord. Others who are not rendering to you that which is yours. Your very image is on them. And yet they're living as though they belong to themselves. God, forgive us. Have mercy. May we render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God's. To God that which is God's. And in so doing, may we be a testimony to all around us. That we're trying to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.